CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect, manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinWorld Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Well, we'd like to welcome you into the Coin World Podcast as we're back for yet another episode here. Hope everyone's having a great week and enjoying their numismatic journey. I'm Larry Jewett. I'm Chris Bullfinch. Chris, so glad to have you along for this one today. We're going to be talking to Jay Guts from CoinWorld Plus. A lot of things are going on with CoinWorld Plus, and so uh, hopefully you'll give that a listen. And maybe you know a lot about CoinWorld Plus, and they've been our sponsor here for some time on the CoinWorld Podcast. We're glad to have them on board. And of course, coming up, they're going to be at the Central States Numismatic Society Convention. That'll be coming up here very soon in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois. So you can stop by the CoinWorld Plus booth there and learn a little bit more about that for yourself after you listen to Jake's interview here today. Well, you know, Chris, just got done reading some of the uh, content of the latest issue that came out here at CoinWorld. I didn't have a whole lot in there. I had one little story on uh, Virginia law, but you had quite a bit in that latest, uh, and I especially loved your uh, cover story in the paper money section. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? Oh, yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much. I'm uh, glad. Uh, you know that joke that like writers tell when they're trying to be self-effacing and someone says, oh, I read your side, and they go, oh, you're the one. I kind of wanted to bust out that <laughs> joke, but I couldn't figure out how to construct it. So anyway, um, no, but thank you for your kind words. It was uh, it was a fun feature to write. I covered uh, collecting contemporary counterfeit obsolete paper money. Um, listeners will remember that that we've actually we've covered um, obsolete paper money and contemporary counterfeit obsolete paper money uh, to some extent on the podcast before. Uh, we interviewed Stephen Mim, who actually I, I excerpt a little bit from his book, um, Nation of Counterfeiters, which is a really great and very readable um, sort of journey through, uh, you know, journey through the history of counterfeiting paper money, especially in the early to mid 19th century. Uh, Mim is a uh, he's a history professor at I believe the University of Georgia. Um, I'd have to double check that, but I believe that's where he is. And we interviewed him, God, probably more than two years ago now, which feels absolutely unbelievable. And also a couple of the other experts who I talked to for the piece have been interviewed on the Coin World podcast. So we'll, uh, what I really was trying to do with the feature was explain to collectors what contemporary counterfeit obsolete notes are and how and why someone might want to collect them. So obviously that's a lot of ground to cover. For those listeners who are not subscribers to our print, uh, whether monthly and or you know, the monthly and or weekly edition, our paper money, it's broken down into three sections, the magazine, coin, uh, U.S. Coins, World Coins, uh, which are our uh, podcast co-host Jeff Stark uh, edits, and uh, paper money. And so the paper money cover feature uh, usually covers about give or three pages, give or take. As I find with almost every feature topic, I find that... Uh, the more you research into something, the more you realize you don't have enough space to adequately cover everything that you might want to cover. There are a lot of interesting kind of back alleys and detours that you might want to take. So obviously, there a certain amount of um, discretion has to be exercised in terms of what to include. So I, I found it, you know, obviously, it's a challenge to determine exactly what to convey. And I certainly hope I managed to balance a little bit of the history of uh, counterfeiting, again, specifically focused on um, the late 18th and early to mid 19th century. I mean, entire books can be and have been written and very long articles and, and quite a bit has been written about uh, counterfeiting colonial notes and um, and federally issued paper money as well. But again, those I 
for the purposes of the column I or the, the feature rather, I had to kind of choose one specific period. And what I found really interesting was talking to a couple of experts who offered a range of views on the collectability of contemporary counterfeits. So, and this was something that I hadn't thought a great deal about. Obviously, I have a handful of obsolete notes in my own very small paper money collection. Um, and I certainly find them fascinating. And contemporary counterfeit notes are in some cases much more affordable than genuine examples of uh, especially really sought after issues. If there are certain obsolete notes that are rare in genuine form, oftentimes there will be counterfeits that try to mimic the designs in different ways. So some people accept contemporary counterfeits, even though, you know, a lot of people, if they bought, uh, you know, if you go to a coin show and you bought a Morgan dollar and you brought it home only to have it authenticated or send out to a grading service and find out that it's not real, you might justifiably be very upset about that. But there are people who in uh, both the coin and paper money realms um, actually collect contemporary counterfeits. I'm actually one of those people. I have uh, purchased a number of contemporary counterfeit coins. Um, actually, that's a a sort of burgeoning area of interest of mine. And we've interviewed um, on the podcast, we've interviewed a couple of experts, um, namely Winston Zach. Um, it's, it's very interesting. You know, people do collect the contemporary counterfeits and the term contemporary counterfeit refers specifically to counterfeits that were produced in the period of the material that they're trying to pass off as genuine. So if you have a, you know, a contemporary counterfeit note of a bank that was active in the 1850s, for example, that note ideally should have been printed in the 1850s or somewhere thereabouts in the mid 19th century is what it really boils down to. So these are, you know, whereas a modern counterfeit or a forgery, actually, and there's, there's an interesting semantic difference there the, between those terms. You know, so it was interesting to find out who collects these things. In fact, uh, Joe Bowling, uh, an obsolete paper money expert who I talked to, in fact, collects the notes in pairs. He buys one genuine obsolete banknote and contemporary counterfeits of that obsolete banknote to kind of pair with them and uses them to teach at the ANA Summer Seminar. So there actually there's a pretty wide range of things you can do with collections of contemporary counterfeit obsolete banknotes. And, you know, some people collect them just because they are either more affordable or the only accessible versions of notes that they want for their collections. So I had a lot of fun digging into it. Um, you know, I've I've read a couple of books on obsolete banknotes in general, and I was familiar with the sort of concept of contemporary counterfeits. And obviously, if you, you know, go through auction catalogs of paper money for long enough, you will find contemporary counterfeit obsolete banknotes in auctions. So, you know, I had noticed that kind of material in the market and I had done, you know, obviously just in the course of my numismatic reading, I'd encountered, I'd encountered the term and the concept many times, but having to actually sit down and explain it to readers and, you know, to contact experts to sort of flesh out my own understanding was, it was a lot of fun actually. And I hope it translated reasonably well onto the page. And I think it did too, and especially because it gives the opportunity for the uh, sources that were utilized there that if somebody wanted to go beyond, obviously we can't cover a subject to the extension that the, you came with a book or a, a larger volume in our stories here as we try to uh, cover a number of different subjects but right there. Anybody who's interested and wants to learn more certainly has an avenue that has been provided for them by your research to get that avenue and, and to learn more about that. And, uh, you know, you helped your own collecting journey right here. And certainly there are going to be others who are going to benefit from just uh, taking a few minutes and reading that story, but reading it intently. So job well done. I mean, I, I was able to uh, learn quite a bit from that. I'm not as uh, ingrained in it as uh, some perhaps, but it, it is an intriguing subject. And that's there's a lot of curiosities that are connected with uh, anybody's collecting here. Sometimes we're driven simply by that curiosity and knowing that these counterfeits out here sometimes uh, carry more weight than something that was duplicated 100 years after the fact. 
that kind of helps on that. So great job on that. That's one of the uh, stories. We invite you to pick up a copy of the latest issue. The May issue is out there now of Coin World. We'll be talking a little bit more about that a little bit later on. But now I want to talk about the month of April as we have been talking history. You mentioned history before, and history is so very important. As uh, we look back in numismatic history, and uh, a couple of events that happened during the latter part of April that I want to focus on. And I know, Chris, this is an area you're very interested in, too, and that is the Civil War. Because a lot of this, you know, we had Fort Sumter happened in April, but, uh, you know, secession actually began in December of 1860 as the uh, Confederate states came together. But there are a couple of numismatic-related events that happened in the latter part of April here. One of them I want to focus on was on April 20th in the year 1861, because that was the day that uh, Confederate authorities seized the Charlotte Mint. And uh, so that one was kind of big because, you know, the Fort Sumster was just uh, not long before that. And uh, the Confederate authorities, they went and took over the Charlotte Mint. The next event happened the following year in 1862. It happened on April 26th as the U.S. troops regained the New Orleans Mint. So there was, uh, you know, during that Civil War period, there were other events too. The uh, the last superintendent of the Dahlonega Mint resigned in 1861 in the latter part of April here. But uh, Confederate States activities and the presence of our mints in Charlotte and Dahlonega and uh, New Orleans, and uh, they just all fell this. And that's, that's the things that stood out at me because there were a lot of great things that happened in this uh, the week of period between uh, April 19th and April 26th. But... Uh, these are the ones that stood out to me, and it just—I I always enjoy reading about the Civil War. I do as well, and the the eighteen sixty one C, um, you know, the, the Charlotte and Dahlonega issues um, that came out in eighteen sixty one. Some of them are absolutely fascinating because you know it, it is thought that at least you know depending on the denomination, um, a certain number of examples were actually struck by the mint after the Confederacy seized it, which you know that to me is an absolutely fascinating story. Um, you know, I would definitely encourage people to look into the uh, history of the Southern of the Southern branch mints um, and particularly on the eve of the civil war. So no, it's, and as you said, um, I, I am fascinated by the civil war. I was lucky to take a couple of courses on it in college and um, I'm a member of the civil war token society. As a matter of fact, I absolutely, I absolutely love civil war tokens. That's actually see. one of my, one of my many uh, areas of, uh, of collecting interest. In fact, you know, it's funny, Jeff and I uh, were actually talking um, on the phone earlier today uh, we were talking. Actually, we were talking about podcast business, and uh, there's this great um, Civil War uh, Civil War token dated 1860. It has sort of a, it has a, like a smoking of the weed connotation. I'll drop a if if anyone's interested, I'll uh, you know I'll try and find uh, images of it. It's it's a really cool one. So we were actually chatting about Civil War tokens uh, earlier today. So that's a, that's an awesome piece of history to uh, to delve into, Larry. So what are we rolling on to in terms of uh, Coin World history? What uh, we're looking at an issue from the early 80s, right? Yeah, but I can't let that 420 thing slip by us there. But, yeah, uh, I know. I couldn't there. resist, uh, given given <laughs> given our proximity to that holiday, um, if that's what people consider it. Uh, I couldn't resist. Gotcha. Uh, I couldn't resist mentioning it. But it's a. It actually is. It is a very. It's a very famous token. Um, so I'll yeah. uh, see if I can't dig up a photo of it. So anyway, uh, yeah. But so we're uh, we're looking at something from the 80s, though, right, Larry? Yes, indeed. We're going to go back to 1981, as a matter of fact. I just wanted to take a, a journey back and uh, found a, a great cover story on the April 15th uh, edition of Coin World from 1981. And it kind of coincides, kind of dovetails with that uh, issue that we mentioned previous, the uh, May issue of Coin World. 
And uh, the cover feature that was uh, written by Thomas Cohn regarding the coin compositions. And in 1981, in April 15th, 1981 edition, lo and behold, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about an alloy change on none other than the cent, because they were contemplating the Treasury Department was determined that they could change the cent alloy. They, they had the power to do it. They planned to go ahead with it. There were those who were opposed to it. And, uh, of course, the composition of the cent back when this article was written was the fact that it was, you know, 95% copper, 5% zinc, and they wanted to change that completely. And when I first saw this and looked at this story, I thought right back to a previous episode that you and Jeff had done regarding the cent. And, of course, you know, the, the conversation is always around, do we need it, do we don't? And I, I just wondered if maybe you seeing this article allowed you to step back in time almost 100 episodes ago. Oh, yeah. Um, episode 63. So this is 160. So, yeah, almost exactly uh, 97. But, yeah, very close to 100 episodes ago. Yeah, uh, Jeff and I were lucky to interview um, Zach Edick and Jamie Kovach. I'm hoping I remember how to pronounce her name correctly. We asked her at the top of the episode <laughs> in the intervening uh, you know, two years or so that it's been. I, uh, I've forgotten, unfortunately. But anyway, uh, there are two filmmakers who produced what I thought was an excellent documentary. I think Jeff and I both agreed at the time, and as did other people uh, we discussed the, um, the movie with. They put together a great documentary um, about the scent. They weighed... Um, you know, they talked to a huge range of experts, including Edmund C. Moy, a uh, former... Um, you know, Mint Official, whose name is probably familiar to many of our listeners. And what I found most striking about the movie, and I really enjoyed interviewing both of them. They were not only great to talk to, um, they're very gracious with uh, with their time and their recollections on the filmmaking process. And the, fi- the film that they put out is really quite excellent. And something that's really struck me about it was that, you know, so often you know, discussions about numismatic issues when they're had in the so-called mainstream media. You know, we talked about the Battle of Cowpens medal uh, that uh, sort of resurfaced and was auctioned for $960,000 recently. And that'll actually be the subject of a a future interview, actually. So uh, get excited for that. If you were interested in that story, we're going to be delving into it uh, in the near future. But something that struck me about the film was that Many people, when they have this discussion, you see, you know, comedians telling jokes about it, or you see mainstream pundits commenting on it. John Oliver, for example, devoted about a 10 minute segment to just talking about the scent. And what so many people point to is the concept of negative seniorage. The idea is, you know, it costs a certain number of cents to make a cent, certainly more than its face value. So, you know, that costs the government in terms of the, you know, the, the, not only the cost of the, of the material, but the cost of producing it is obviously, you know, greater than its face value. But, they actually had a couple of economists on who, you know, on that documentary who made us, you know, in some cases, surprisingly persuasive points about the merits of keeping the scent, that there actually are reasons um, to maintain the scent. So the issue is not quite as one sided as it is often portrayed. So I found that particularly interesting. And again, like I said, um, Edith Kovach couldn't have been more gracious and generous with their time. And Jeff and I certainly enjoyed talking to them. So, man, we're talking about a lot of old podcasts. This is like a podcast history episode. Oh um, yeah, well, with 160 of them, what do you expect? I almost want to do a montage, you know, have have like you know the greatest hits, you, me, and <laughs> you, me, and Jeff, like the you know some of our favorite interviews. We actually have, we kind of have done that when we submitted the um, podcast for an NLG award. When we've done that in the past, we actually have had to figure out what some of our favorite episodes were, and certainly the um, you know, the interview with uh, Edith and Kovach was uh, was a great one. But to your point about this uh, the story from 1981, it also dovetails thematically with something that we talk often about. 
um, here on the podcast, which is it's always interesting to look back at old issues of Coin World because you can see stories developing that we know become historic events, right? So, you know, this is April of 1981. Well, we know that the next year in 1982, the sense composition was changed. And in fact, you had the year of seven cents where you had the different letter sizes, the different compositions, uh, the different uh, date mint mark combinations that resulted in seven different cents that were different in a whole number of different ways being produced in one year, which is, you know, that's one of those sort of fun, new, you know, recent pieces of numismatic history that people often like to share because many consumers are not aware of it. So yeah, that, that was a really fun interview to do. And it was really interesting to see. Um, it was interesting to see that be the top story. And I can't help but notice Larry, uh, and this is when you emailed me about this being the, uh, the issue we were going to do, you did mention, and it's impossible not to mention, the typo that's in the headline above the fold. I couldn't help but notice, it's funny, the the, the uh, headline reads, Treasury full speed ahead on uh, cent alloy change, semicolon, opponents air views. The word speed is spelled with three E's. So I can't, it's just, you know, it's great. Um, and, you know, of course, these things happen all the time. Um, you know, small typos get past even the best editors. And it was just funny. That, it was just funny that this was, a, you know, that was in the headline we were talking about. I also noticed, interestingly, immediately below that article is a very short piece that is entitled Reagan eyeing Ohio legislator for mint. And it was a short piece talking about how Ronald Reagan uh, was going to appoint Donna Pope uh, to be director of the Mint. And she actually ultimately did become director of the Mint. And uh, she's from Ohio, which is obviously where Coin World, uh, where Coin World's home office is. So I thought that was kind of a fun little thing. But then over on the letters page, um, you know, there were some interesting letters, but really one jumped out to me. And again, it has some uh, contemporary relevance. Another thing we talk about when we review these back issues of Coin World, when, when um, you know, all three of us have talked about it. We often talk about how, you know, many stories unfold over a long period of time, and there are certain themes that really just seem to come up again and again in the history of numismatics, and there are certain issues that really seem to weigh on the minds of readers across generations. So this letter was one of those, and it's entitled, Our Dealers First, and it reads, quote, Why do the little collectors get the shaft all the time when it comes to the mint sending out proof and uncirculated sets? Why do big dealers come out with ads offering hundreds of sets for sale? Is there someone in the mint who sends the sets to dealers first? When a collector or investor sends in an order, he should stand in line. Coin dealers should also stand in line, for they are no better than the little guy. If something is not done soon, this kind of fouled-up operation will sooner or later help kill our coin-collecting hobby. The Mint does not favor dealers. Many collectors who receive early orders sell extra sets to dealers. The Mint took a close look at its mailing list again this year to eliminate any excessive and duplicate ordering procedures. So, so the letter concludes, If something is not done soon, this kind of fouled-up operation will sooner or later help kill our coin-collecting hobby. And then... The editor, because this sometimes happens, if the editor has an answer to uh, an issue raised by a reader in a letter to the editor, they'll respond for the benefit of those reading the letters, like us. And the response from the editor read, quote, The Mint does not favor dealers. Many collectors who receive early orders sell extra sets to dealers. The Mint took a close look at its mailing list again this year to eliminate any excessive and duplicate ordering procedures from the editor. But the letter itself was written by someone named Lloyd Nelson of Hawthorne, California. And I bring this up because... In the last couple of years, especially, there's been quite a bit of uh, there's been quite a bit said, um, understandably, about the Mint's authorized bulk purchasers program, the ABPP. Um, our colleague Paul Jilks has covered it um, quite a bit, as as he absolutely should, because it is very important to all of us collectors. Um, but there is a sense among many readers, um, and certainly, I mean, you know, this sense or this impression carries back at least to the 1980s, if not quite a bit before, that there is some kind of chicanery going on, and that there are customers that are essentially favored by the Mint. So, you know, that that dealers can get their products ahead of time, that dealers place larger orders and then can, you know, quote unquote, corner the market. 
there's quite a bit of sort of popular anger about that in, in the collector community and that impression. But with the revelation of the authorized bulk purchasers program and, you know, Paul's digging into it, we did find out that actually that at least in, at least in this day and age is actually kind of the case. Can, you know, so what's your take on that, Larry? Is that about that about fair? Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much the assessment of it. I mean, we're still waiting on some of the answers of that. But I mean, just the idea that uh, this letter writer back in 81 had something that uh, more or less holds some relevance on into the 21st century, too. So that's, as you mentioned, uh, it's interesting to see when things that were then and are still somewhat now, then that's just, it's great to have it there. But I think it's time now for us to go into the trivia question we had last time where I ask you, in reference to an article that was written by our colleague Jeff Stark, concerning a coin that was um, taken from the waters as the uh, Titanic had sunk back in the uh, 1912, I believe it was. And uh, so it it was uh, sold at auction, and Jeff covered it extensively. It's been a few years ago now, and I was just asking you simply to identify the year, the denomination, and any uh, distinguishing features of that particular coin. And I think I might even told you how much it sold for. But uh, So I, I just wonder if that jarred any memories from you, because it happened recently, relatively recently anyway. And it seems kind of fitting that we talk about uh, uh, something recovered from a shipwreck, because coming up in the uh, near future, we're going to be talking to Daniel Frank Sedwick, uh, who is also known for his uh, shipwreck coins. And uh, they, have, they have a big auction coming up in May. And we'll be talking about shipwrecks in general, not uh, necessarily the Titanic. So that leads me into asking you if you know what coin we're talking about in this particular case. You know, it so happens I do. It's a 1906-0 Barber Half Dollar. And I know that um, because I remember, I, I forget if it was exactly this coin, but I do remember reading years ago in CoinWorld before I ever joined the staff, I do remember reading about a coin being recovered from the Titanic. So when you asked me this question last week, two weeks ago, whenever it was that this question was originally posed, I remember that jogged my memory. And I, then I remembered that over the course of my time at CoinWorld, sometime in the last two or three years, I can't remember exactly when, I'd gone digging to try to find that story. And I think Jeff and I, Part of the reason I had done that was that Jeff and I were talking about um, coins that were recovered from Ground Zero, um, which are uh, certified by third-party grading services. Uh, Jeff and I discussed that on one episode. Um, And so not that the Titanic is necessarily comparable. Obviously, one was a terrorist attack. The other was a maritime disaster. Um, So they're obviously different. But to me, the connecting, the reason that that kind of came up was that there's sort of a connecting thread in the sense that these are uh, both coins that have been recovered from the sites of, you know, disasters or sites where there is considerable loss of life. Obviously, there's a distinction between a maritime disaster and a terrorist attack. But nonetheless, these are still coins recovered from the sites of, um, you know, national tragedies. And so, you know, we were kind of talking about that. And so I remember looking into the story. And so when you asked that, that jogged my memory. And I knew it was a barber half dollar and it was 19060. So I remember uh, looking into that. So the version of the story that I read was published on CoinWorld's website in 2014. The coin sold for over $20,000, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, it's, it's in, you know, for having spent a fair amount of time on the bottom of the ocean, it's in, you know, reasonably good shape. Um, yes, indeed. So anyway, it's a 1906 uh, Barber Half Dollar. So that's, uh, and it was a fun story. And I remember, you know, like I said, I remember reading something about it years ago. And so it was, uh, you know, when you asked that question, I was like, ah, I kind of remember that. So yeah, 1906, towards the end of a... Uh, Towards the end of the New Orleans Mint uh, coinage output period, uh, closed, you know, stopped producing coins three years after. So anyway, yeah, pretty neat. 
I figured you had a leg up on that one because I figured you were a <laughs> subscriber right about that time. Yeah. So maybe you, uh, you know, you may actually have had that is- issue hanging out. Right I there, might. But. I'd have to. I mean, I have to. I've got a box full of old coin worlds in my my closet. I'd have to go through them. But um, yeah, I, I subscribed circa 2010, 11 ish, somewhere. I don't remember exactly when. I used to get them as a, before I ever subscribed. I used to receive them as uh, stocking stuffers when I was a little kid. Um, got them as Christmas stocking stuffers, individual issues. And then eventually my parents just kind of noticed I was taking a more serious interest and just got me the full subscription. So I you know, definitely benefited from uh, having read a good few Coin World articles in my numismatic youth. Although I still feel like I'm in my numismatic youth. So I guess I'll call it my numismatic adolescence. Close enough. There we go. Uh, anyway, yeah, go. so yeah. So a no, little no, bit no. of maturity has just been added to your, to your journey. <laughs> yeah, didn't right that, wasn't that something you all talked with uh, Jerry Fortin about? That's a, kind of a cool mm-hmm. concept he has, numismatic maturity. Anyway. There you go. Yeah, so anyway, right, so what's, well, the, what's the next I, question? I got another question for you. It's another easy question because uh, pretty soon Jeff's going to start asking questions again, and they're not going to be easy. So Basically, what happened to us was we were researching the uh, This Week in Numismatic History, came across another very special event that is going to be the subject of this week's uh, trivia question. And there was an organization that's a prominent numismatic organization that was founded in 1939. It actually was founded on April 23rd in 1939, still very much active into the hobby today. And I just kind of wonder... If you know what organization this would be, how if you know uh, of any organization that's celebrating their 83rd anniversary this year, uh, some are older, some are younger, just uh, what particular organization is uh, commemorating its 83rd anniversary after being organized on April 23rd of 1939. Still prominent in the hobby today and still very much active in the hobby today. That's all I'm going to tell you about that one. But uh we're going to uh, venture off now to our interview that we had uh, with Jake Utz, who was uh, working with Coin World Plus. If you've stopped by the Coin World Plus booth, he is one of the persons that you've talked to and uh, introduced you to some of the uh, aspects of that. And Jake has uh, some information on some new aspects coming up. So give it a listen. And if you happen to be going to uh, a convention in the near future, you may run across Jake and the team as they are there with the Coin World Plus. So this will give you a little bit of a background so that you can talk to them when you see them there. So here's that interview now with Jay Cutts of Coin World Plus. The Coin World Podcast is delighted, in fact, to have Jay Cutts with us on board. And uh, Jake is a familiar face. In fact, I just recently looked at uh, Charmy Harker's report on the Baltimore show, and there was a nice picture of Jake in there that uh, he was on hand at the Whitman Coin Expo in Baltimore on behalf of Coin World Plus. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. We've mentioned Coin World Plus as our sponsor of the podcast recently. We thank them for their support. But it is a relatively new concept here in numismatic hobby, and so consequently, there's a lot of questions concerning that. And uh, one of the most common questions we're asked is, what is Coin World Plus? So why not go to the source and find out? Jake, good morning. Appreciate you being with us on the Coin World Podcast. Morning, Larry. Thanks for having me on, finally. Uh, Finally, yeah. I know we've been doing a lot of work here. You've been doing a lot of traveling here lately. So let's just go ahead and give the elevator presentation of uh, what Coin World Plus actually is. Please tell us what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So Coin World Plus is an app that we have developed here at Coin World, um, and it works with the NFC tagged. Uh, for those that don't know what NFC is, it's near field communication. So it's similar to the technology that's in um, like your debit and credit cards, the little chip that you insert. It's just two fields that have to be close together that can then talk to each other. 
So inside the app, it's a portfolio management, inventory management. You can create a want list um, that's interactive that we will discuss. Uh, you can shop. So we have a shop function for all U.S. coins, and you can narrow it down to the exact color of the Lincoln cent that you're looking for. Um, then you can communicate with other users. Um, you can make items for sale. And you can just keep track of your inventory, your portfolio to see if your value of your portfolio hopefully is always going up. But you can see the, the fluctuation of your portfolio. But all at the touch of your hands. That's amazing to me. I mean, the last time we talked about it, it was only a concept. It was an idea that was heading toward reality, but it hadn't quite made it to reality yet. So uh, along the way, obviously, there were some improvements, some additions, some enhancements, and and probably still will be. So, uh, I mean, once it was launched, uh, has anything changed since then? A lot has changed. So the biggest one is just more coins. So now that we have, uh, now that it's open to the public, and people are putting their coins into their portfolios and we're tagging coins, we have a lot of coins in our database. And the more coins we get, the better for everyone that uses the app because the data is out there, the more data is out there. So the cool thing about it is if you're at a coin show and you see a coin that you like, typically guys, you know, they're they're going through gray sheets or they're going through Coin World or they're going through something to look up the information about the coin. With Coin World Plus, if it has a tag, all you do is just wave your phone over it. It pulls up the information. It pulls up the basic grading information that you can get if you know how to read barcodes on NGC or PCGS coins. But then it goes into history. So with us having digitized all of CoinWorld, we can do articles, we can do videos of of the history of the coin, stories about the coin. Um, But then also we can put in there what maybe NGC thinks it's worth, what PCGS thinks it's worth, what we think it's worth, what uh, it says in the red book, what the CAC sticker says, and it's all all in one place. And you're, you're not flipping through different websites, you're not flipping through different magazines. And we're also pulling auction results constantly. This isn't an app where you pull up and you look at your coin one time, it's okay, I don't have to look at this you know, for a month because nothing's changed. This is every time you open it, our goal is that it's something different on your coin, whether that's a different article, a new auction result, um, or more pricing information. To me, that's the biggest thing because it's it's interactive. I always tell people it's it's ever growing. It's not the same app every single time that you open it up. And we get there by more people putting their data inside about their coins. It's almost like building a village type thing where you start to, you need a blacksmith and you have to get one in there and then you need this and you have to add that aspect to it. But to me, the, the community aspect of everything is what's important here. And the some of the connections that have to be made, like, you know, I want this coin, I have this coin, you have an excess. But I, the first thing I need to get back to is the fact that we're only talking slabbed coins here. You can't bring a raw coin or a coin in a two by two and it do you any good. Correct. As of now. So we are, we got the wheels turning uh, because it is a question that I get a lot is, can I do my raw coins? Right now, the answer is no, but we are working on it. So we'd like to design something that maybe it's a, you know, a clear case that you put your raw coin inside or something that we do with the flip that you can still get the technology behind what we have to offer. Yeah, so I, I opened up Pandora's box there on that <laughs> one. Sure. But, uh, you know, and he, I, I come back to that community aspect of it. And the thing that strikes me is that if I'm trying to grow my collection, 
I, the only best way I'm going to find it, what I'm looking for is to let people know that I'm, it's what I'm looking for. And that's why the, what appeals to me is the want list, that uh, aspect of this program. Yeah, and I think uh, the term want list kind of throws people off. But it, it's so hard when you're naming these things to get a name that, one, people are going to understand what it is. And we felt like want list, we know people are going to understand what it is. And the idea was that once people got in there and started to see how it worked, that they would understand that it's it's more than a want list. It's interactive. So when I hear want list, I think of something like Amazon where it's like, I don't want to buy this now. I kind of want to wait. Maybe I'm shopping around, so I'm going to save it, maybe come back to it later. Whereas our one list is you can do that if you find something that you're looking for in the shop function and you want to save it to your one list because maybe you want to come back later. But the thing that makes us unique and that makes us stand out from any other app that's that's out there like this is once you put that in your want list, our team then goes out and we're looking at listings on eBay that we have a partnership with. We're looking at our coin world marketplace. Um, we're asking other dealers that we work with that who has a coin like this or who has this coin. Once we have found either the coin that you're looking for or something very similar, maybe you're looking for a certain grade, maybe we found a grade lower, maybe we found a grade higher, but then we'll send you a message inside of the app that says, hey, you know, we found a coin similar to the one in your want list. Click this link and you can go buy it. The link takes you, even if it's the eBay, the link will take you directly to the buy now page. It's not, here's a link to eBay, type in these search words. It's, this is where it is. You can buy it right now. And you mentioned eBay because I think that was one of the big uh, news stories that came out just a couple of months after CoinWorld came, CoinWorld Plus came into existence. And that is this partnership with eBay. That's had to been a tremendous boost to the program. It has. It's been a, a very good contract that we've made. If you're on eBay, you're looking for coins, you find a coin that you like, uh, you go to checkout. There is a link when you're checking out that you can get uh, one of our NFC tags, the CoinWorld Plus tag, then on your on your coin and how that works is so you would buy the coin you would buy the tag first of all if you would get the coin in the mail it wouldn't come to us first it would go to the buyer first to make sure you know it is the coin that you bought everything is legit on that end once you've had that uh we would work out the details of then either sending you the tag or you sending us the coin and we would program program your chip make sure everything works and send it back to you Okay, that's a great system you got going there. That that really helps. So I think it's important. I mean, there's a lot of concern about legitimacy too, and I think that you know, as when you have a, a slab coin, you want to make sure it's authentic as well. And I think this is another step toward helping the authentication process. No, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, could, when we get the coin, when I get the coin, and I'm programming, that's that's the first thing I do is make sure that this is the coin um, that the holder says it is, and we're hoping that then people realize once I have this tag on there, that this tag is also saying what this label is saying, that this coin is the coin it is. So when you're talking in coins, there's always concern about counterfeiting or falsification or that type of thing. How secure are, are the tags that you have? Can anybody deface them? Can anybody um, open them up and then close them back up again? It was a great question. I get that asked a lot. And it also goes back to things that have changed since we've uh, launched the app. So right now, our the first design that we have, the circle antenna goes on the back, and we have a security tail that wraps around the one side of the case. So that security tail is tamper-proof. So the slightest bit is peeled up, and a notification is sent out that the tag has been tampered with. We would get that 
I would look up wh whose tag it belongs to. I would then contact that user and say, hey, your tag has been tampered with. You know, were you doing something with it? Or, you know, do you know where your coin is kind of thing? Um, so there is that security aspect that adds to the case itself. Um, and then being out at all the coin shows, we got a, a bunch of feedback. And we know we're not going to please everybody, but we're trying to please as many people as possible. And the one thing we kept on hearing was about the design. So then our second design, which is out, um, we have it available, is a two-tail. So as I said before, we have the one security tail that goes around the, around the edge of the slab. We have now one that goes around both sides. So that way you're doubling the security that no one could vary. I don't know, Larry, if you've ever tried to crack a case open. It is not hard to do, or it's not easy to do. Um, but having the two tails really gives you more security that there's no way they're going to be able to pry open just one side of it. Yep, that every little bit helps in a situation like that. And certainly getting the confidence of the consumer is very important with that respect. So it's obvious that you're some, you're listening to what people are suggesting, you're saying everything. So it seems like there's a constant attempt to make this program as the best it possibly can be. I mean, that's what we're hoping to, hoping to do. We're hoping to give the people what they want as far as when they're going even if, if you're just looking to shop for coins or if you're really into just collecting, we're trying to reach as many people and make this as useful as possible. And going back to tag design, again, listening to the people, there are, there's people out there that say, you know what, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really worried about where my coins are going or the security, uh, you know, they're in the case, I'm fine with that. I want something smaller. So now we're in the works. If anyone's familiar with the CAC sticker, we're going to try to go maybe that size. Now, we have to keep in mind that we also have to put an antenna in the sticker and it can only be so small. But now we're going to try to appease the people that, you know, I don't want a, a big antenna on the back. I don't really necessarily need the security, but I want functionality. I want the information, the data. So just give me something a little bit smaller that I can throw in the back corner that's not going to be as noticeable. So then there's concern about how the appearance would be on something like this, too. It seems to me that, uh, you know, you don't want to take away from the, the beauty and the eye appeal of the coin itself. So you obviously have to think about that. It's got to be there. It's got to be uh, there and noticed, but it doesn't have to be predominant you know, on the holder. Exactly. And like I said, we're not going to make everybody happy, but we're trying to think of as many things that people are going to think of. of like, like I said, I want more security. So I want, you know, the big antenna in the tail or the two tails and some people are you know i i don't really need it but i want the data so i want a, a smaller sticker that i can kind of somewhat hide you know well let's not uh run away from this one too but uh what is what kind of charge are you talking about doing this you're providing a great service a great uh, comfort for this is this an annual subscription type thing or how how does that work so the great thing about it, the app is free so anyone can go out and they can download the app coin world plus uh android and uh, iOS, and we have a functionality that's on there right now uh, that you can scan any NGC, any PCGS uh, US coin, you can scan the barcode, or you can put in the information manually, and we have a very good diagram of if you're not familiar with reading the barcodes and the information on there. And you can put in, you can start putting in your collection into your portfolio for free, and it's not going to cost you anything. Now, the, where the charges come is, is the tag. So the tag is going to get you 
the pricing information, like I said, you'll be able to see, because most people, if you have a PCGS coin, you go to their site, okay, you can see what PCGS thinks it's worth, and that's it. And to find out what other people think it's worth, you got to start digging through websites, digging through magazines. So this tag allows you to see what everybody thinks it's worth in one place at one time. And that's constantly changing. It, I mean, we were feeding data in all the time. You're also going to get all the auction results that we can find. And like I said, that is constantly growing. We're constantly dumping auction data in there. With those two, with the pricing information and the auction results, we then give it a value, which we think is a more accurate value because we're basing it off of everything, not just, well, PCGS thinks it's $100, so it's $100. So we think that we're giving people a better and more accurate value of their portfolio. And then you also get the history, the videos. For people that go to the coin shows, if you've ever talked to me, uh, sometimes we have the moon, we have a moon landing coin. And when you scan that tag, uh, a video of Neil Armstrong comes up walking on the moon. So you get very cool features like that. And then you also get the option to be able to sell it inside of the app as well. And if you send it into our submission center, I do all the imaging. So I'll take high def images of your, of your coin. So that way, when you're, when you're looking through your portfolio, you have very detailed, very crisp photos of your coins. So you mentioned earlier when someone approaches you at a show, when someone talks to you, we're uh, planning on uh, all being up there. The Coin World Podcast will be uh, joining you there at the Central States Numismatic Society uh, event coming up in Schaumburg, Illinois. And I know it's going to be uh, going to be a welcome back for that particular show. But uh, say someone is planning to attend the CSNS show or any one of the shows where they might possibly see that the Coin World Plus booth and the Coin World booth is on the uh, show listing for there. What do they need to, uh, first of all, what would they expect to find if they came to your location? What uh, would they see there? Well, first, they're going to find the best candy in the show because we always have the best <laughs> candy. <in> the <laughs> uh, and for the for the for what it sounds like, it's going to be a packed booth because we filled out the list and there's going to be a lot of people there. So hopefully they see a lot of smiling faces. But as far as Coin World Plus, uh, we'll have Padzilla there. So if you if you haven't been to a show where we've had Padzilla, Padzilla is a four and a half, five foot, fully functional iPad. I mean, feel free. I, I feel like people are a little intimidated by it when they do see it, and they don't understand that it's all interactive. So it works exactly like a cell phone or an iPad. You can come up; it's all touchscreen. But we will have the app pulled up. People can, you can literally go through the shop function on there. You can pull up eBay, you can pull up Marketplace, you can go through. Uh, we have some really good examples. Uh, we have a Morgan dollar on there and a Peace dollar. Really good examples of the rich history that we can provide about coins and also the auction results. That will be there. We'll have flyers out about information. We'll have QR codes that you can download the app. We'll have some giveaway coins. People can come. They can download the app if they haven't already. Even if you even if you download the app, you can come talk to me. We have plenty of giveaway coins. Um, we had them made last year at the ANA, so they're Kennedy uh, half dollars. So I'll program them for you with the tag. I'll put them in your name. You can start your your collection inside the app. Um, and then we also have our we'll have our mobile submission center there that I'll be running. So if you want to bring your coins in you can bring them in i can tag i can tag them i can program them, i can do everything while you're shopping the floor and the, the cool thing about it is i always tell people you know go go out look around and 
you know, in about 10 minutes, open up the app and see what, see what's there. Because as they, and I say, you know, then walk around a little bit more, wait about 20 minutes and then open it up again. So as they keep opening up, they're going to see, okay, now this coin's in there. And now this information is uploaded about this coin. And now this coin's in there. And now this information's uploaded. And then when it's all done, I send them a message in the app, say, hey, your coins are done. You can come pick them up. That's perfect. I mean, you're getting that, that instantaneous, and that's what we quest uh, so much these days is the instantaneous satisfaction of knowing that it's done. So, uh, uh, you know, say you can bring them to the mobile submission centers or anything else they need to bring along with them. They have to bring their history to it or you just all they have to do is bring the coins. Yeah, we'll, we'll have the submission forms there. And that really is just filling out uh, what coins you have. But yeah, everything that really you need to do is just come fill out the form, drop your coins off. You can hang out at the booth. You can watch me do it. I have no problem with that. Or like I said, you can shop around and we'll let you know when they're done. Yeah, great. You can come over. Hopefully we'll be recording a podcast or two while uh, you're doing some of uh, the activity in the mobile submission center while we're there here. But uh, you've been out here on the road now for a little while. You've had a chance to meet some folks and uh, talk about improvements or ideas connected with Coin World Plus. But uh, t- tell me some of your uh, your best experiences that you've uh, had. Is there anything you can recall that stands out in your mind? Yeah, two things. So last I'm trying to think of the show. It was summer fun, kind of the first one back from COVID. It was a great turnout. Uh, we were there. We had quite a few people there. Um, and one of our sales reps brought his coins because he knew that we were going to all be there. And he wanted to get his coins tagged. So I said, you know, no problem. I'll, I'll tag him. So I was tagging, programming his coins. And I found something very interesting. So I called him. I said, David, you're going to have to come and you got to check this out. I don't, I don't really know what's going on here. But so he came back and I started explaining to him. So what happened is, and he, he had this coin for, I can't remember. He said like eight or 10 years. So this wasn't, you know, something that he just bought. He had a silver Eagle. And when I was doing the programming, everything was coming up that that coin in that holder was supposed to be a $10 gold Eagle, which is a huge difference. So, and he had, he had no idea. He had this coin for eight to 10 years, no idea that the, the holder of that coin said that that coin should be a $10 gold Eagle. And it was actually in the coin inside the holder was a silver Eagle. Wow. So he ended up, he, uh, he took it back to the grader. They have worked it out. And I, I actually, since I knew we were doing this, um, I asked him to pull up his account and his coin roll plus to see if the changes have been made the changes have been made so unfortunately his value went down a little bit after it went from gold to silver but <laughs> but that that goes into you know some people don't especially if you're not you know if you're not a whiz or if it about, about coins or it's just something slips your mind and you don't see it you have no way of of knowing that you had not necessarily an error in the coin but an error on the graders part of, of the label and that goes into what we provide is, you know, we validate everything when it comes in. That was cool to see. Uh, it was good, good practice for me. Well, it's also good to know that the accuracy is important with this program, too. So you were able yeah. to catch that and make it make it more accurate. You don't want to inadvertently misrepresent anything. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other one was we were um, at Fun Again this year um, in January and a colleague of mine came and said, Hey, I want to, we need to tag this coin um, for a dealer. 
I said, okay. Uh, and it was a gold territorial coin. I won't get into too many details about it. But so I start, you know, doing my thing in the submission center, getting everything ready. Um, I start taking the pictures. I start programming a tag. And then all of a sudden, uh, our database starts working and it starts pulling pricing information. And I see now that, and my colleague of mine knows what this coin is worth. Uh, he, he had told me, but he's standing right beside me and he's kind of watching me. And all of a sudden, the pricing information comes in and my eyes go big and he sees me and I see him and he goes, yeah, he goes, don't let that coin leave your side. <laughs> so the coin was is worth uh, roughly around $600,000, which <clears throat> some people might not, you know, depending on what kind of coin collector you are, but that's, that's the most expensive coin I've ever held, held in my hands. Um, so that, that was, that was something cool to see a coin that that, you know, is worth that much to be able to hold it in the case, uh, to be able to program the tag and then obviously give it back to the, the owner. It was, it was a cool thing to do. But you treat all of the coins, regardless of the, you know, six figure price tag or four figure price tag, you treat them all the same way, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I, I treat that coin as well as I treated my, you know, 1957 Lincoln Red Cent that's worth $13 that I own. <laughs> well, wait, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, a, a $13 Red Cent, that's pretty good. I mean, now, so then has the experience you've had at these shows and meeting these collectors and uh, talking to people about this program, has that had any effect on you personally with respect to uh, numismatics? It has. So I, I helped build um, the database, gather all the information um, for our shop function. Um, so it was all U.S. coins. I had literally to go through line by line and, and figure out every single variant and type of coin out there. It, it's a lot. I mean, we're talking 23,000 plus. And being new to coins, I didn't realize that with cents that there was three colors. I just I just didn't know that. Um, but building the database, I quickly found that out. So I took an interest in red uh, Lincoln cents. And it, for me, it's not about what it's worth. Because uh, to me, I mean, yeah, the, every coin has a value. But to me, the value is what the owner thinks it is. So if you have a $13 coin, but you think it's the coolest coin, it's more valuable to you than, you know, the one that's $300. Um, so I don't, I don't care about the grade necessarily or what holder it's in or what year. For me, it's all about trying to find the reddest one that I can find. And is your 57 the example of that? Um, I have a 55D that has been the reddest that I can find. Um, now, there was, we saw, it was, we were at the show in Dallas. I think it was last year we were there. And a dealer had a proof set. I think it was a 39 proof set. I keep the picture on my phone because he let me take a picture of the scent. It is the red. I mean, it's like blood red. It is the reddest scent I've ever seen in my life. I was willing to pay way more than I was comfortable paying. My wife probably would have kicked me out of the house. <laughs> but I was willing. We were willing to buy. He did not want to split. He had the, the whole set, proof set and everything. He did not want to split the set up. So... And I didn't have enough money to, to buy the whole set. But yeah, now I'm on this hunt for defining just the reddest. Like I said, I don't, I don't care about the grade or the year or whatever. I just want to see how, how red can I get. So I would bet that this is probably on your want list somewhere. 
I have a lot of I have a lot of red scents on my list. <laughs> now we talked earlier about how if a person comes to Central States or comes to one of these other shows, but uh, there are still some that are not able to get to shows for whatever reason. So, what recourse does somebody have if they can't actually physically come to the show? What can they do to get involved? What should they do to get involved and get their coins tagged? Yeah, absolutely. So this goes back to, again, when we we're saying we're trying to, to reach out and we're trying to appeal to as many people as we can. So we know that not everyone can go to shows because typically the submission center in Padzilla goes to the, the bigger shows. Um, so the first thing I would do is say go, go to the website. From the website, you can learn a ton of information. If you haven't downloaded the app, uh, you can it'll have a link on there that you can download the app. The cool thing that we started probably about two months ago, maybe, um, is concierge sessions. So once you download the app, it gives you a free concierge session. And that is with me, not with anybody else. And it's from a half hour to 45 minutes. Um, if we're not busy that day, we can stretch it to an hour. But that is just me and the person that has downloaded the app. It's just one-on-one time over uh, a voice call. It doesn't have to be video, just a voice call. But I will go through the app, I will go through the tagging process, I'll explain you know, all the data that they're gonna get, and then it's just open to what questions do you have, what do you need me to walk you through, are you having any issues? Um, so I have people that do these sessions that have just downloaded, downloaded the app, or I help them download the app, or they've had the app downloaded now for three months and they're just you know trying to get more familiar with something, or they're maybe they're snagged up on trying to scan their own coins into their into their website or into their portfolio so we have that and then we're also starting um i have my first one in june so we're trying to reach out as to many people as possible um so we're going to do coin club talks so i'm in ohio so uh, we reached out when we were in the Colorado Springs at the ANA to a gentleman that helps run the Cincinnati Coin Club. So we got to talking, and he he loved the idea. And I said, "Hey, you know, I'm only you know an hour away. I can I can drive down there and talk to your Coin Club if you want. I can give you all the data of what I'm going to be talking about. I'll give you the QR code that you can put in your newsletter, so anyone that comes can already have the app downloaded. I'll give them." You know the specifications of what coins it can bring if they want to get them tagged while i'm at the show and i even told him i said if you have all of your members come and all your members want their coins tagged i'll get a hotel i'll stay there and i'll i'll tag all their coins i said I, I'll, I'll make it work make it work for them but we're again trying to just get out and and get this out to as many people as possible because it's it's amazing once I see people when they, they download the app or we're at the show and I go through the app with them and they're just thinking, yeah, you know, they're just trying to sell me something, blah, blah, blah. But then once we get into it and they start to see, especially like the pricing information, the auction results, uh, the, the want list, I mean, it just, they're just like, oh, I mean, holy cow, like I was not expecting this. But then you can see they can see the value in it, that there's nothing like this out there. You mentioned the Cincinnati appearance here, but if someone is in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico or someplace like that, for example, uh, you know, how could they, would someone who's uh, with a coin club that's far away that can't drive and get a hotel to, could they have the possibility? They're always looking for guests. Could you, uh, would you be willing to appear at coin club meetings? Yeah, absolutely. We've been telling people, hey, if, like I said, if, if you're out of state or, you know, 
whatever, get a hold of me. Uh, we can, if you're good with technology or I can help you get through it. Zoom is very easy to use for people that haven't used it before. Uh, we can set up a Zoom. We can do a Zoom call and I can Zoom call into your coin club meeting and I can do my presentation. I have no problem doing doing that at all. Okay, so let's open the floodgates here. How do they reach out to you? So inside the app, if you go to customer service, uh, you can reach out to me. That goes directly to me. Or you can email me. My email is J-U-T as in Tom, Z as in Zebra, at amosmedia.com. And like I said, get a hold of me. I, I, if you haven't used Zoom before, I will, I will walk you through it. It, it, it is not hard. Um, and then once we get it all set up, we can just set the date and I will gladly do Zoom calls with coin clubs. I, I love talking about this. I've done it. Like you said, I've been traveling a lot the past couple of years and I've, I've given a lot of presentations and I, I really do truly enjoy talking about it with people. Well, we're glad that you do that because uh, we've enjoyed talking to you here and uh, appreciate you sharing that information. Look forward to seeing you in Schaumburg. And, uh, Absolutely. Hopefully a lot of folks are going to stop by the Coin World Plus and the Coin World booth. Come talk to us about Coin World Plus and see how it can help you with your collection. Jake, once again, thanks for your time here and look forward to working with you here and watching this program grow. Thank you for your support of the podcast. And uh, you're going to be a busy man here very soon. <laughs> and no problem. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for having me on. That was Jake Gutz of Coin World Plus. And once again, we invite you to stop by and visit him whenever you go to one of the shows. And uh, of course, he is going to be making himself available for if you have a coin club and you're responsible for the entertainment or the information at that club, uh, certainly you can get a hold of Jake and he can tell you how to get connected so that uh, the Coin World Plus can make the presentation to your group. They uh, certainly have been supporting us and we definitely do appreciate that. Well, Chris, I know that uh, we got a lot of responsibility coming, putting this next issue together here. So I thank you for taking the time to be a part of this one. I look forward to one of your upcoming interviews. I know it's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. You just kind of hinted at that regarding the Calpins medal. So mm. that had to be a fun job for you. Oh yeah, no, I'm. It's it's going to be a fun interview. And yeah, no, looking into the uh, looking into the Calpins medal was fun for the podcast. You know, the last couple of weeks and reading the reporting and uh yeah so definitely look forward to that uh that interview coming up and like you said you know thanks to coin world plus for for sponsoring this and if you all can keep on listening every week if you enjoyed this episode if you enjoyed any of our previous content i, I gotta really vary up my monologue here i've got i've got the script i've got my little uh little thing i say but i'm gonna have to change it up at some point but as i'm doing that please keep on listening every week remember to subscribe yes, and while you're doing that make sure there are no typos make sure there are no typos in your presentation okay <laughs> yeah. no we're gonna so, we're gonna until we get together the next time we invite Dude, you I, I am scouring this podcast title to find a typo <laughs> if there's a typo in this podcast title or we could integrate the word we should miss we we'll call it need for speed or something and integrate the the spelling into the title that'd be kind of funny actually i kind of want to do that i but anyway, learned um, that Yes. It's bad karma to do that. And <laughs> we, we, we both have to create a print product here, so it's bad karma. I'm just <laughs> no, no, sir. No, dude, I, I'm knocking on wood. We weren't criticizing anyone. Happens has happened to literally all of us. Knocking on wood. Uh, but anyway. That. Yep. All right. Well, anyway. All right. Well, it's probably happened to everybody out there, but everybody who's been listening, we thank you for your listening. We hope you keep listening here. But in the meantime, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Coin World Plus is your new way to collect.
manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.